when we think about um, what's going on in our hearts and our lives, um, often we do find ourselves in conflict, right? Whether it's personal uh, or bigger than that. And I bet that there's a majority of us, or some of us in the room at least, that there's maybe one area of your life or one relationship where you're hoping for reconciliation. And um, think about that, not just you personally, but think widespread into our culture and into our society. Our family was at Chapters last week, and um, this cover of Atlantic Monthly just kind of jumped out at me. And it said, the question was, why are we so angry? That was the title of Atlantic Monthly. And it was talking about American culture, but it was saying that anger has become the dominant emotion in our politics and personal lives. Now, that's America. We're Canadian. We're a little nicer, maybe. But we still, we still feel that. We're not immune to that, right? So personally, socially, there's a need for reconciliation in our hearts, in our lives, in our world more than ever before. I think many of us would agree with that. When I think about Christmas, and by the way, Joe and Amir, you guys did an awesome job telling us a story. Thanks so much again. That was so good. Um, when I think about Christmas, Christmas is kind of like the ultimate reconciliation story. The ultimate story of reconciliation, what happened at Christmas, the original story of Jesus' birth, and Joseph can correct me if I'm wrong at any point in my talk, um, really, the original story became a catalyst for reconciliation so big, so wide, that it would bring people together in relationship with God. In fact, within a century of Jesus' birth, about 70 or 80 years, maybe 20 or 30 years after his death and resurrection, his earliest followers, pockets all over um, the Middle East and beyond in the Roman Empire, were affirming their experience that they had discovered this new relationship with God, their creator. In fact, this is one of the words, some of, a phrase that, that one New Testament writer describes and is writing to this, this church in a Greek town called Corinth, and he says these words, and it affirms what they've been experiencing. He says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. They said that 20, 30 years after Christ's death and resurrection. I want to give you some backstory rooted in the, in the narratives of Jesus' birth. And if, I'm not going to read it tonight. Um, if you've got a Bible or you want to search online later, or you can find it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. But um, it, it, Matthew gives us like Joseph's angle of this story. And Mary is the real popular one often in, in the story. But Matthew gives us Joseph's angle on this. And Joseph is considered a super nice guy. In fact, the scriptures call him faithful or righteous. One of the, the, the Hebrew words that maybe um, someone who is Jewish would have called him was a tzaddik, which meant that he followed the faith very faithfully. He was the kind of guy that we would say in our world walks the talk, a person of integrity, treats people well. And he was an exciting season of his life. I mean, he's young, maybe his early 20s. His like a very kind of growing, successful career in construction is before him, is ahead of him. And he's soon to be married, engaged to a beautiful young girl named Mary. Now, engagement in that time period was a little different than today. There was like three phases of marriage. First, your parents set you up, and you're, you're kind of arranged to be married. 
And then there's, then, then you literally, like the groom's family signs a contract. Like, you know, they put the down payment on the hall right away and the photographer, right? And, uh, but more than that, they're literally in this contractual arrangement called engagement or betrothal. And then finally they get married. Well, Joseph and Mary, they're in this second phase, this engagement phase, but it's like a contract. It's the real deal. Money's been put on the table. And Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. And he's shocked because it's the craziest story because they say that she's pregnant because God had literally put a baby in her womb, miraculously. And so now, he's like, this is kind of weird. And this is going to possibly affect Joseph's reputation, maybe his career. Maybe, you know, he's thinking he's going to just mess up this whole potential for marriage, put the whole thing in jeopardy. But he has love and respect for Mary. And the story tells us that he, he would, he's thinking about maybe quietly divorcing her, not to make a big deal about this, not to, not to ruin her life or her reputation. And so he's in this predicament. And the story tells us that, that this angel shows up. And this angel says these words to him. It's on the screen. And just follow along with me. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is pretty crazy for him to even hear these words, but what it's saying to Joseph, it's saying, hey, Joseph, this is bigger than you. This is bigger than you. God has this plan in place, and you are a part of it. And, and what Joseph hears in that moment is that what's going on that he's connected to somehow is way bigger than him. And the angel continues and said these, says these words to him, says, she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So here's this plan revealed to Joseph. And when Joseph hears those words, those last words, he will save his people from their sins, he catches something because he understands this language. He understands this language of his people and their need for salvation, so he was part of Israel at the time, and, and, and the way history tells us in the Old Testament scriptures, but also even outside of that, tells us that Israel was started and was shaped by God to be a light to the nations, that God would pick this one person in history called Abraham, and he would have a son, and Isaac would have a son, and that son would have 12 sons, and those 12 sons would grow to be this nation called Israel. And God would use that nation. His hope, his purpose was that they would be a light to the world. It wasn't just for them. It was for everybody. And his people detoured. His people went off course. His people lost their connection, their deep connection with their God. His people went south, in a sense. And when Joseph hears the word saved, he understands something, that God is up to something big. That God is going to do something. In fact, when he hears the name Jesus, he wouldn't have heard it like we hear Jesus. He would have heard uh, you know, what he understands to be Jesus, which is the Hebrew word Yeshua, which actually means God saves. When he would hear that word, when he would hear that name, a connection would be made. Oh, maybe God is going to save us. Maybe God is going to come and do something fresh in us and for us. In fact, the word salvation isn't just, doesn't just mean to be rescued, but it's bigger than that. It means to be made whole, to be restored, to reconcile what was broken, and Israel felt broken. Israel felt disconnected. Israel felt lost. And Joseph felt the same thing because he was part of that people group. And they needed salvation. When he heard those words, he understood God was up to something that would save them. 
But you know, the story was even bigger than them. It was bigger than Joseph. It was bigger than Mary. It was bigger than one people group. It was literally for the whole world because all humanity, and I'm going to see if you, get, if you would agree with me in this, all of humanity in some way, shape, or form is broken. If we go way back, even before this story was ever, this actually happened way back and into the, the scriptures, a book called Genesis describes this creation account of, of the world. Now, as soon as I say that, I don't know if you're a guest here tonight or maybe you're more on the scientific side or you're may, maybe you're more on the philosophical side. And when you hear the creation story, maybe some of these ideas come to your mind. And I don't know, maybe, doesn't, let's say you think the world is 6,000 you know, years old or you think the world is 13 billion years old. That's okay. Either way, it doesn't really matter at the moment. But you know what? This creation story told us something, regardless of the mechanics behind it, that we know to be true. And what this creation story told us is that we were created for relationship. This gift that was given to us to understand our origins, not just the mechanics of it, not just the theories behind it, but that we were created for relationship. A relationship for God, people looking to transcendence, looking to something beyond themselves, a relationship with each other, and a relationship with our world, with the planet. And I bet that, that you know that this is true. I would say that almost everyone I'm looking at, and thankfully the lights are just high enough that I can almost see everybody's faces, that I, I bet everyone that I'm looking at right now would say, and you would know that this is true, that we've been created for these relationships. You know why I know that this is true and why I believe that you believe it's true? is because part of every human struggle is rooted in relationship. Part of every human struggle, whether it's a kid, whether you're a kid in a, in a kindergarten class in the playground, whether you're at the lunch table at high school, whether you're just into your first job and you're trying to figure things out and you don't know how you should treat the boss and they treat you, whether it's a family spat or something going on in a marriage, or whether it's bigger than that in our culture, in society, in politics, nations against nations, part of the human struggle is this, that relationships are broken. And isn't it amazing that science looks for ways to fix the brokenness in our world? That psychology looks for ways to fix the brokenness among people? That theology tries to express ways to fix the brokenness in our soul and in our heart towards God? And that policy in government tries to juggle all those things to make a society? Because there's a brokenness that we all can recognize. And then enter Christmas. And God breaks into our world in the flesh to save and make whole what was broken, to reconcile back to him, to, to mend, and by default, with each other too. In fact, we already heard it in the Christmas story earlier, but I'll quote it here. Matthew reaches back to a prophet named Isaiah that says these words, and it was, he says, all this took place Everything that was happening, all the different pieces that were happening, that were taking place, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not only is Jesus called Christ, the Messiah, not only is he given the name Jesus because he will save his people from his sins, he's given the name Emmanuel, God with us. And, and if there's one thing I want you to hear tonight and one thing I want you to leave with and one thing I hope you go into your Christmas season with and into 2019 with, it's this line on the phrase. If you ask the question, how does God save us? 
The answer is he comes to us. How does God save us? How does God restore our hearts? How does God restore our lives? How does God work in us? He actually comes to us. And the story of Jesus' birth tells us that so clear that God, and I love the way one translator says it, that God took on human flesh and moved into our neighborhood. How does God save us? He comes to us. You know, there's one thing, and you probably experienced this, that every, recon- every reconciliation needs. Every reconciliation requires this. It always requires for one person to go first. Isn't that true? It's, it's never usually exactly two people at the same time, right? Reconciliation always requires somebody making the first move. And you know this, right? And you've been in a conflict with someone or an argument with a friend or, you know, uh, maybe fighting with your spouse or something like that. You know, my wife and I, we've been married for 20 years. We've had a decent amount of arguments. And uh, good ones and bad ones. And, uh, and I think so far we've gotten through all of them now because we're still around. So we're grateful. But he, here's the thing. Whenever, whenever there's a, a kind of a disagreement or something happens or, or, or maybe I've, usually I've done something, I, I would admit, usually I've done something. And so, so you, if, now this can happen with a friend too, but, but if, you're, if you're married, you might catch this. It's like it comes to the end of the day. You haven't really talked about this. You haven't resolved anything. Nobody said a word. And then you're like sitting in bed and there's this thick wall of separation, invisible separation between you because you're like, should I say something? Should I not say something? Is she going to say something? Is he going to say something? Will she go first? Will he go first? And I'm thinking, I have no idea. I, I could mess this up if I just start this. And should I apologize? Should I highlight what I think is wrong? I, I don't know. And so, but here's what I do know. Every reconciliation requires someone to go first. Right? Religion usually requires humanity to go first. You do this so God will love you. You do that so God will pay attention to you. You do this so you'll be successful. You know, even secular culture does that. Even our culture, you do this, prove yourself, and we'll do this. Um, You know, get to this level, and we'll add this on. You know, get your credit rating all right, and then we'll do this. So whether it's religion or even secular culture, it's always do, 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 make the first move. Here's the beauty of Christmas, that God in Christ, made the first move. That God, in Christ, made the first move. He became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. An author from New York City says these words. I, I like how he describes it. He says, these gospel narratives are telling you not what you should do, but what God has done. The birth of the Son of God into the world is a gospel It's good news. It's an announcement. You don't save yourself. God has come to save you. God has come to save you. God made the first move. Isn't that amazing? And and here's the beautiful overflow of that. Here's the beautiful outflow of that. Because whenever one relationship works well, it always affects other relationships. And when a human being gets into a relationship with God the Creator, there's an overflow into other relationships. In fact, I read before, right, that the, the first Christians affirmed this truth. And they said, you know, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting sins against them. But then listen to what they continue to write. If you go to the next slide. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Not only is God reconciling the world to himself, he is then, when people get reconciled to him, he says, hey, you go out and you be a reconciler. 
You go out and you be a peacemaker. You go out and you build bridges. And here's the beauty of it. When big reconciliation works, humanity and God, us and God, that overflows into little reconciliation. You and people, you and friends, you and coworkers, you and family, you and neighbors. And I think that's why there's such something so powerful about Christmas that still gives people hope. Even if they're the most unreligious, unspiritual person on the planet. There's something so powerful about the story of Christmas, whether someone recognizes it or not or rooted rooted in it or not, that still gives people hope. Why does it make most of the world stop and think about life and relationships? Because Christmas is the ultimate reconciliation story. And it overflows into the longing of our hearts. See, when God made the first move to bring us into relationship with him, that changed everything for all relationships. When you experience reconciliation with God, when you receive welcome and forgiveness from your creator, when you receive mercy from a holy and just God, despite your own brokenness, despite your own sin, how can that not change the way you treat other people? How can that not change the way you relate to your friends? How can that not change the way you relate to your family? And I believe all of us have a longing in our heart for that. And it's interesting how Christmas has a way to stop us in our tracks and reveal that this longing comes right from God himself. Because it just lasts and lasts. People continue to long for it. I want to watch a video in a second. And it's, it's a, it was a, a brief clip that was made about um, something that people believed happened in 1914 during World War I. And um, there was letters that were found historically over time of some soldiers that wrote about Christmas time, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, 1914, when right across enemy lines between uh, the British and the Germans and, and other pockets, there was, there was fragments of letters found that, that was indicating that it's like everything stopped for that day. That people just said, you know what? We don't want to be enemies today. We don't want to be fighters today. We, want to, we don't want to hurt people today. And uh, it's incredible to notice. And, and there was a clip made about it. And I want you to watch it just as we, as we kind of wrap this up tonight in a moment. Take a look. You know, I, I didn't want us to see that clip to make us think that somehow celebrating Christmas makes everything perfect or stops all wars in the world. Um, but it really demonstrates something so powerful that... There is a reconciliation that we all long for in, the heart, in our hearts. And that reconciliation we long for is true. And regardless of your background, regardless of where you, know, you are in your spiritual journey, and we all long for that kind of reconciliation. And this God-given reconciliation, this God who longs for us to be reconciled to Him and to each other, and I think that that's what's powerful about this is, is somehow this story has the power to stop people in their tracks. I wish they would then take the story, embrace the truth, embrace the God behind it, and begin to live the experience of it. We have this opportunity to respond to God's move, to be reconciled to Him. That's the first beautiful outcome of this. The other outcome of this is that when we respond to him, God gives us the capacity to be reconciled with other people around us. 
like we started tonight, like wouldn't, I'm sure there's some areas of your life where you're longing for reconciliation. And then here's the beauty is that when we really get caught up in not the story of Christmas, but the person of Christmas, faith in Jesus, God's son, we, at some point, something changes and we're not just being reconciled with God and overflowing into our other friends and family. We become reconcilers. And the little world around us starts to look different because we become reconcilers. The team's going to sing a song for us. And I just want us to think about this, just to reflect. You know, this, the next couple of days are probably going to be really fast for you. There's going to be parties and chaos and stuff going on. And at some point, maybe, maybe not, maybe some people are, are, are going to be alone for a couple of days and it's making them think and reflect in some ways. But regardless of what you're doing, just take the next few moments. Just think about what we've talked about. And think about your response um, to this ultimate story of reconciliation. Where's, is God inviting you into it more to seek, to search, to pursue? And where that applies in your life. So listen to the song as they sing. As I was thinking about this, this idea of like this big reconciliation that's available for us. And then what that means just in small ways for us individually, in our relationships and in our life. And I thought about this idea of a water tap, okay? You ever go to a faucet? And um, is there ever a moment when you think the faucet's not going to let out water? Right? Like you just go and you expect that the water's going to come out, right? And you fill your glass and you close the water or you, you drink at the fountain and whatever. But I was thinking about this and I realized like on a daily basis, when we think about the kind of life, the kind of reconciliation, the kind of peace, the kind of joy that God wants to give us in our lives... We often just think about it in these pieces, in these moments. And I think about this reconciliation that's so big, and yet God wants to affect our life with it. And I thought about that faucet, because all we do is we just need to open the faucet. But when I, I thought about it, behind the faucet is a pipe that goes down to another pipe, and that goes down you know, somewhere on the side of your house, and then goes down to the kind of main water pipe and shoots out your driveway underneath, right? And then connects to the main water pipe. Like, if we just keep talking about, you know, we're going to get to like a big body of water, Right? There's water behind there. It's just ready to open. And all we got to do is open it. But it's our choice. And here's the beauty of this story as well. God made the first move. His love, his grace, the reconciliation in relationship with him is totally available to us. He made the first move. Our response is, do we want it? Do we want to open the tap? Do we want to say, yes, God, I long for that in my life? And that's what, as a church, that's what we're here to do. We're here to help people process that search, process that desire, connect themselves um, to God, understand faith in Jesus Christ, read through the scriptures, and, and, and learn and grow together. And, you know, everyone's welcome here, regardless of where they are in their spiritual journey, and we all move closer and closer together to the kind of life that God wants. And so I just want to, as I pray with you tonight, I wanted to just give you that opportunity to think about that. Sometimes we just need to open the spout, open the, open the faucet. okay. I'm going to let what God already has ready for me into my life. And so maybe some ways you can do that, maybe one of the best ways you can do that is just come back. Come back. We meet every Sunday. We explore faith together. We walk together. We, we try and discern even the messiness of our lives. January 6th, we're doing a really great gathering to kick off the year called Stories, Scripture, and Song. We're going to hear from people's personal story and a mix of Scripture and Song as well. And then the week after, we start off this series called Mosaic, trying to really navigate the brokenness and beauty in the human existence. 
And we're going to spend most of January and a little bit into February just exploring that topic and what that means for our lives. I want to invite you back for that. Anyways, let's take a moment. I'd love to pray with you for this season. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. You made the first move. You stepped into our world through your Son, Christ. We just say thank you. We thank you for this ultimate reconciliation story. Maybe there's some even here today, some even here tonight, that there are some real struggles going on in their lives, real conflict going on in their lives, real brokenness in some of their relationships, and they are longing to have some restoration. God, I pray that they would see in what you have done for them and in the the relationship you're inviting them into that you can begin to work in their own lives as well. But may they see this opportunity to embrace you, to be reconciled to you, to begin a relationship with you. There may be many of us here that already do walk in faith with you. May we not miss the overflow that is possible as we allow you to work in us and in our relationships. And God, ultimately, when we see our world, when we see the unfortunate dominant emotion in our world, at times, this last season or two, being anger and fear and anxiety, may we be reconcilers. God, use us to be reconcilers. Use us to be peacemakers. Use us to be examples of joy and hope for those around us, God. I pray for everyone that's here today, regardless of where they are in their journey and whatever they're searching for in their hearts, God, I pray that we would inch a little bit closer into the life that you long for us. May this Christmas season be beautiful and wonderful and blessed. So I just pray that for everyone in this place today. In Christ's name we pray, amen.